15 years after his pivotal first recording of the cello suites by J.S. Bach, Matt Heimowitz has returned with a new interpretation of those suites, this time from the manuscript copy made by Anna Magdalena. Crossover Media recently facilitated an interview day with radio stations across the United States to discuss this new album. First, Matt explored the background on these mysterious cello suites. Who exactly was Anna Magdalena, and what was Bach's original intention with his music? The cello suites were composed back in 1720. Bach was working at the court in Kutten, which is about an hour drive from Leipzig. And Prince Leopold loved music, he was passionate about it, and Bach had the freedom to write whatever chamber music he dreamed up, and he had the best players around him. So other than that, there's a lot of mystery that surrounds these pieces, and Bach's own manuscript, the copy that he was composing with, has been lost to history. Fortunately, Bach's second wife, Maria Barbara, who was not technically around at that time with Bach, a couple years later, she got a hold of, at that time, Bach's manuscript, and she copied it. And she was a great copyist. She meticulously copied his handwriting and articulations. And over the years, there's been some controversy around it. Many people feel that she was in a rush to copy many, many manuscripts of Bach, and so she made mistakes. But actually, there's just a vast amount of information and clues so you're kind of a detective looking at this manuscript and trying to figure out what was the original intention of Bach with these pieces. Matt first recorded the Bach cello suites back in 2000 in honor of the 250th anniversary of Bach's death on July 28th. Many of the interviewers were curious as to why he decided to re-record these suites. Matt explains to us how the articulations and interpretations he faced were very different this time around. Compared even to 15 years ago, the recording I made early on, my articulations are so different. I'm really trying to be as faithful as I can now to the Anna Magdalena. Even when she's inconsistent, I'm asking myself at all times, does she mean to be inconsistent? Is there a reason for this? And, you know, there's a sequence down and uh, the slur changes a little bit. Or is it intended for me, the performer, to make it consistent and vice versa? So there's a lot of room for my own decisions and interpretation of this music. But with the articulations, I'm really trying to get as close as I can to what the original idea was. Bach, he really knew these instruments, he had a conception, and he was trying to bring certain things out. And he doesn't give us a whole lot in terms of dynamics and other, other aspects, but at the very least, he gives us these articulations, and it's worth thinking about them. And there are moments where it's really an anomaly. Anna Magdalena's transcriptions of Bach became Matt's guide on how to understand the true intentions of his music. He wrote music in a way that left certain emphasis, dynamics, and tempo open to interpretation. He discusses the challenges he faced with these suites. The question is, for us, where the articulations are. There are these slurs over the notes, and we labor over where to put them. <laughs> and are they two notes, three notes, four notes to a bow? And that's where it starts to get interesting and very much like decoding a language, like getting a tablet from a, a dead language and trying to figure out what it means and what the symbols mean. And even in Bach's own handwriting, if this ever turns up, if we have the original, still we will not see hardly any dynamic markings, any indication to the performer of whether to play loud or soft or gradations of that. We won't see any tempo indications. It'll be dance movements, but very rarely will it 
have allegro or adagio or, you know, sort of indications of whether he thought it should be slow or fast or within that precisely how fast it should be. So there is uh, an incredible sense of trust and also a sense of performance practice that Bach expected the performer to do certain things right and to bring certain rules to it. And at the same time, he was leaving it open for interpretation, for the player to find their own way through this forest. One question that Matt was asked consistently throughout the day was, tell us about the cover, or my favorite one by Daisha Clay at Houston Public Media, why are you dressed like a lumberjack on the cover of your CD? If you take a look at the album, Matt is playing the cello, nestled between the roots of an enormous tree. He tells us not only where he was, but also why he chose that setting for his cover. That's on the island of Kauai. It's where Jurassic Park, one of the scenes comes from that tree. And it's at the uh, National Tropical Botanical gardens. It's just stunning, stunning beauty. And for me, I mean, we were there for my wife because she's writing an opera on, on The Last Queen of Hawaii. But when I saw this, I thought it was such a perfect combination of nature and human imagination. What the combination of these two things, when they are put to good and the spark that can happen is really quite stunning. Unfortunately, too often it's, it's for bad. Matt is no stranger to collaboration, especially on period projects. Just last year, he worked with pianist Christopher O'Reilly on the complete Beethoven sonatas and variations. Once again, he made sure he was surrounded with the right people to make sure his album was recorded authentically. He elaborates on who he worked with and how he worked toward achieving his sound for the album. I had an incredible team. First of all, you know, David Frost, one of the great producers around. Just love working with him and Richard King, colleague of mine from McGill University, who is so so wonderful with sound, and he worked for Sony for years, and now he's on his own and doing all kinds of different projects and teaching at McGill. And we were at this beautiful space in New York at the Academy of Arts and Letters, very resonant space, and I didn't know what to expect because with the cello piccolo, that was the first time that I was recording with it. With my own cello, I know it very well, but I don't know it that well set up like this with gut strings and Baroque bows. So in that sense, this was a, a new experience using the Baroque bow and, and getting to know that, what that experience is like. And we were very meticulous about the sound check and trying different things. And I always, from the very beginning, when I first started recording, I had a very <laughs> strong conception of what I thought my sound should be on, on record and, and what, I, what I wanted to hear. Matt made sure he kept true to the time period of the piece, performing the suites on a Baroque cello as well as a cello piccolo for Suite 6. He explains to us how different sound was back then and how he was able to convey that particular resonance for his album. When you go back to hip playing, historically informed performance, and you start making changes in terms of the tools to go back to the time, and you look at the philosophy of sound, in Baroque times, you realize it's all about resonance and it's not as much about sustain as in modern times. So what I like to say that in Baroque times, they embrace nature. Today, we defy nature (laughs) with sort of going against nature to do the impossible. So going back to nature and resonating the instruments, so the the strings, the oxcut strings, the Baroque bow, the tuning going down in pitch, all of that sort of adds up to a more resonant instrument. And when you do that and you look closely at the manuscript and you try to be informed of you want to bring something out, put it on a down bow, you want to put it in relief, put it on an up bow, that kind of thing, it starts to breathe, it starts to speak. And the smaller details of rhetoric 
and phrase start to emerge, and that sort of informs the larger perspective of form. And so all of that to say that the sense of resonance, to me, I was amazed at how orchestral it made the cello sound and how whether it's one voice at a time or double stops or triple stops, it just had this richness. It might not have been as loud as metal strings, but it had a, a richer aspect to it. And the way one note related to the next sort of changes and informs what you're doing. In Matt's liner notes for the album, he says, Hers is a faithful copy of the original. More and more, I turned to Anna Magdalena's manuscript as particularly valuable, becoming increasingly convinced that hers is closest in spirit to the original. Matt talks about his new relationship with Bach and what it was like to revisit this music again through new eyes. You're constantly asking yourself if this is the right path and why are you doing this again? (laughs) I needed to do it again. But you always have these doubts, and with Bach more than with anything. I felt incredibly grateful that I had this experience. I mean, in a way, ultimately, it was for me. It was my relationship with this music, and I had this incredible sort of ideal opportunity to revisit and rethink these works at this moment. And I hope I have maybe one more chance in my lifetime, maybe 15, 20 years from now, you know, because I have a feeling that that'll happen. But it's that kind of music that just it requires a lifetime to approach it. And I'm still waiting for somebody to come to me and hear this version and say, I liked what you did 15 years ago so much better. Why did you do this? You know, that could happen. But this is where I'm at right now with this music. We had to wonder, what exactly happened to the original manuscript? What would Matt do if the original manuscript was ever found? He elaborated for us. I hope in my lifetime we find the original manuscript. That would be nice. I talk to my two girls all the time about it. And we we have all kinds of interesting stories, like, you know, maybe one of the 20 Bach kids made origami eggs out of the manuscript paper or something, or, you know, put it under dishes and it just got lost. Who knows? But, you know, with this music, it's a Bible. You return to this book over and over again, and even within hours of recording this music, you start to have different ideas and different feeling about what this music is about. And on a daily basis, you feel differently. You go through different things in life, and then you return to this music, and it takes on such a different meaning. And every place I've played this music now in many rock clubs and jazz clubs and now concert halls and theaters and outdoors and parks and hospitals, (laughs) just anywhere, it takes on a completely different meaning. It's music that can withstand time, and there's a universality about it, and I'm sure that in in 15 years I'm going to feel very strongly in in a very different direction and want to redo my Bach. But for now, I look forward to people uh, experiencing it in this way and looking at how different it is from 15 years ago. On the Bach cello suites according to Anna Magdalena, Matt explores his relationship with the masterful composer and looks at music through new eyes, opening himself up to new interpretation, insight, and instrumental adjustments. This manuscript has become a major focal point for Matt's current understanding of Bach, and I'm sure we'll all be very curious to see how Matt Heimovitz interprets Bach in another 15 years. For Crossover Media, this is Amanda Bloom.